welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. Now, let's jump into the episode. Greetings. Welcome to the Novik Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Alexander Takei, and this is the interview and insight segment. Today, we're pivoting to the other side of the gaming industry, out of devs, out of finance and engines, and into players, professional content creators, and the video content business that buttresses and force multiplies what's already been built by video game developers. Some might say that video content creators, streamers, competitive players, and influencers are the vanguards of gaming culture. And today, we're turning our gaze towards YouTube, what it's like to start a channel, grow it, find a niche, and what some of the dark sides of being a video content creator might be, and some hot takes on the future of the video format, AI influencers, short forms like TikTok, and whatever else comes to mind. And so to do so, I've brought on Aaron Zhang, a pro Pokemon trainer who has truly tried to catch them all, and probably (laughs) has caught them all, multiple times over across generations of Pokemon in the Kanto region and the many others that came after. Aaron has built and founded a YouTube channel called Cybertron VGC in 2014. His videos have had over 50 million views, and he himself has won five regional championships and two national championships. He's placed third at the 2013 World Championships and fourth at the 2015 U.S. National Championships and qualified for eight different World Championships between 2008 and 2017. He's also shoutcasted for multiple international and World Championships finals. If his success in the world of Pokemon is not enough, I'm actually lucky to have him as a fellow classmate of mine at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. So it's my pleasure. Welcome to the pod, Aaron. So excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am super excited to catch you before we depart on spring break. Uh, (laughs) Where where are you headed? I'm going to be in Japan for spring break, which I'm excited for. Oh, amazing. Where, 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 what cities are you hitting up? I think it's mainly Tokyo and Kyoto, but we might do like a day trip elsewhere as well. It's kind of TBD. I think it's still in planning as we uh, wrap up finals here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, love a good, uh, we don't know what we're doing, but we're going in the flights of the book. <laughs> exactly. That's basically the, the, the Stanford <laughs> spring break planning protocol. That's about as far as I've got as well. So, um, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, well, all right, we've got the destinations planned out. Like we have the structure, the shell of the trip, but like the actual things we're doing, we'll find out and play it as it exactly, goes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that, that's amazing. Uh, and Japan will be a ton of fun and the perfect actually like so timely and perfect for the topic of, of Pokemon. Exactly. Um, so let, let, let's dive in. I mean, at at a high level, I said, we're going to touch on a lot of topics, um, growing the channel from zero to X, like via what tools and how long the pro Pokemon VGC in general and how, you know, being a content creator has affected your personal and professional life. Um, and I would also like, again, like YouTube has had such a little, a little bit of a shakeup with Susan Wojcicki leaving and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to compete with the virality short form content of TikTok. But before we, we do all of that, I wanted to start with your, your sojourn into video content creation. Um, you know, what made you, what made you want to make videos and, and, and why Pokemon? Yeah. So I started making videos in 2014 and, you know, back then I was only just like a competitive player, right? I hadn't really ventured into content or commentating at all. But I finished third at the World Championships, which meant I was like automatically invited to the next year's World Championships. And so I didn't have to go through the regular circuit to try to qualify. And that was a pretty big deal because it just freed up a lot of time. I was a junior in high school at the time and, you know, I was applying to colleges. But at the same time, I was like, now let, I guess I have some more free time that I would normally spend like, competing in tournaments and practicing for them. Mm-hmm. Content creation, which is always something that was really interesting to me. Uh, I think for me specifically, uh, as like an Asian American, like I grew up watching YouTube a lot because there was like a lot more Asian representation on YouTube than there was on like traditional media, especially like a decade ago. And so I was oh, just what was that guy? Um, the guy that sings "Nice Guys Finish Last." Yeah, What's that yeah. YouTuber's name? Jumba. And it was it was him and like I think uh, Niga Higa. Like they, they were. Oh the yeah, yeah. Dude, I loved him. Yeah, they were like, <laughs> so the, they were, like the faces of YouTube, you know, like a decade ago. And so like I I loved watching them, and I was like, this is so cool, you know, like someone you know, that looks like me is, is making content like that. And so super inspirational. Um, and at the time in 2014, like competitive Pokemon in general on YouTube was just not like super, I guess, there. Like there weren't that many creators that made competitive Pokemon content to begin with. And those that did were maybe kind of like 
players that were maybe kind of they enjoyed playing, but they weren't like world championship qualifying players. And so for me, I was like, I see it as an opportunity, right? Like no one else is doing this at the time. And for me, the main motivation was just, hey, like I really love this game and I had such a good experience playing Pokemon competitively. I want to share that with everyone else like in the world. And my goal was to just try to, you know, educate people, let them know what the world of competitive Pokemon looks like. And for those that are interested in like competing in tournaments, you know, try to help them get to a point where maybe they could watch the videos and then go to tournaments and uh, put in good performances as well. So that's kind of how it started. I think I got really lucky because at the time, like no one was really doing it. And there were a lot of other Pokemon creators who were kind of interested in competitive Pokemon, never really ventured into it though. So I got to like do collaborations with a lot of people when I was, you know, first starting out. And I think probably grew to like 10,000 subscribers within like just a few months. And I feel like that gave me like some velocity to just keep scaling up. And so, yeah, I've been doing it ever since. It's been almost a decade, which is really crazy. Uh, I'm still learning about the process and refining it consistently, but it's been a fun journey. That's awesome. Um, and I, again, I can't wait to hear about like the, you know, how, what it takes to kind of continue to do video content creation for, for 10 plus years. Yeah. But um, can you just share sort of like, what was the first video that you ever made and what was it about? How long was it? Um, and maybe what did you learn from doing it? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I think like the concept is actually exactly the same as what I do now. Like the main videos on my channel was me playing through like a couple of competitive games and narrating them live basically. I mean, like, look, this is, like, why I'm making this play this turn, and this is kind of, like, how I'm thinking about it. And so I think the very first one, it was just, like, one game. Maybe it was, like, eight minutes or so. Um, and, like, I never rewatched it before and cringe a little bit because, one, my voice is super high-pitched. I have a bad microphone. Uh, I'm, like, talking <laughs> really, really fast. And uh, but, but, you know, the core concept was still there, which was fun. Uh, and so, yeah, like... I think what was cool is seeing that people were just interested in watching that, even though like the production quality was really bad. I didn't even have a webcam. Like there were still like a couple of thousand views on that. And so that, that's what made me realize, oh, like, wow, this is this is content people are interested in. So like I've actually never really deviated from that, even in like the decade of making stuff. Like I ventured into new content ideas, like video essays is something like I just started kind of trying to explore with. Uh, but the core like main videos that I've always made on my channel has been there since day one, which has been fun. That's awesome. So your first video had a couple thousand views already off yep. the bat. Yeah. Wow. That's hugely successful. Um, <laughs> and um, and it was still in the format of basically. So like I guess like for the for those that maybe don't play competitive Pokemon or yeah. play Pokemon in our audience, which you know would be surprising since it's you know the <laughs> the, the, the the staple gaming the staple gaming of uh, of anyone's childhood. But basically, you're playing through a series of combats with a team um, or a roster that you've that you've compiled and sort of seeing. Like, like how it goes and you're kind of you're more, a little bit more of like an educating the audience on like what moves to use and when um as opposed to being that i guess like from the twitch streaming perspective less about like the like funny i'm i'm entertaining situation is, is that is that right yeah I, I think you described it perfectly honestly like i would say i'm like more of an educator first maybe entertainer second i do think mm -hmm. one thing that's interesting is as i've like scaled up and grown like a lot of people just enjoy watching like unique Pokemon. Like they find that really entertaining, right? And a lot of people don't actually even really play competitively or follow the competitive scene. But when you get to see your favorite Pokemon, you know, being used at a really high level, it can just be kind of fun. Especially because Pokemon, like a lot of other competitive games, you know, there's like a established metagame. And so when you watch tournaments, a lot of the times it's like a lot of similar Pokemon and compositions. Although I say there's a lot more diversity at a high level than a lot of people realize. It's just people like, like, often harp on the fact that it's like, oh, I see this one guy on like half the teams, like, you know, that makes it so boring. Um, but for YouTube, I think what's fun is, yeah, I, I try to make like anything and everything work. And sometimes like some compositions are harder to execute than others, but, you know, give me like a day or two, I can always try to like get some good games regardless of the composition. And so mm -hmm. uh, big picture wise, though, to answer your question, yeah, it's more like entertaining. It's not really like edited at all, at least like the battling stuff. It's really long form edited. Like my videos are like 45 minutes to an hour these days. Um, and I think like one thing I really... I've been happy about is seeing like the retention on that throughout the years. Like the viewership generally continues to grow and like getting people to stick around for 45 minutes to an hour is like mind blowing to yeah, me. Yeah, that's long. So I'm, I'm really happy that there is an audience even for that in the first place. And I think for a lot of people, it's just, yeah, like I, I focus more on like high quality kind of education rather than like, I don't know, screaming, screaming in the microphone and making like crazy reactions, which is totally like fine as a form of entertainment as well. It's just, I know that's not my personality. And so I kind of focus on, I think what, what fits me best. Got it. And then, this is actually a perfect jumping off point to talk sort of about 
you know, pro Pokemon. Again, yeah. like you're anchored very much in like, oh, the goal here is at the pro level scene. You know, what are the best teams to take to the highest level? Um, can you share a little bit more about the structure of VGC Pokemon and how it maybe differs from the card format? Um, and maybe even just say like, what is VGC Pokemon in general? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great question. Uh, so VGC, first of all, stands for Video Game Championships. And it's kind of like the official format that we play in competitive Pokemon. Uh, the thing about competitive Pokemon is actually there's so many different like formats and like fan-made rule sets and rule sets created by like the you know the actual company that you can play. Um, but these live in-person tournaments are yeah we use this one rule set called VGC and it kind of changes every couple of months or so. But the general idea is that you you know train up your team of six Pokemon going into a tournament. Um, everyone kind of figures out what six they think best fits them and their play style and kind of what beats a lot of uh, the metagame at the moment. Uh, and then these tournaments, you know, there's like regional level events, international level events, and the world championships. And generally, you accumulate points if you do well at like the regional and international level. Uh, and the world championships is kind of like the premier event every year, as you may imagine. And so, uh, yeah, it's really unique. I think it's a competitive gaming scene because I think, you know, unlike a lot of other games, uh, there is some one more structure, but two, it's like, you know, it's not like a team-based esport, for example, right? It's like you by your sure. individual. Uh, and the events are actually just open to everyone as well. So it's not like, oh, you have to be in the top 16 or 32 players to attend this like major, for example. So this season has been exciting because with the new game, Scarlet and Violet, we've had like 600 to 800 players attending these tournaments when back then it used to be maybe like 100 to 300. So uh, the growth of the game Dang. has been amazing. I think it's been more accessible. I think like they have reduced a lot of barriers to entry in terms of like getting a good team together in game, which has been great. And so the Pokemon Company International is kind of like the you know parent company of all of this. They run like the international and the world championship level for the most part. Um, and then like the regional tournaments are often delegated to like other tournament organizers. Uh, and it's like kind of subsidized and they're the ones kind of running these events. And normally it's like a couple of TOs that are running like multiple regional level events um, throughout a season. And it's funny, you mentioned the card game and it's like the card game and the video game have two separate circuits, but they're at the exact same tournaments as well. So when I'm competing in the video game side, the, the card game players are basically on the other side of the hall playing their tournament, which is cool. And I actually like started as a card game player. Um, and back in the day, like the circuits were not like combined. And so you could actually do both. But now it's like you have to pick one or the other if you're competing. But there's actually a lot of like overlaps between skill sets, I think, for the two games, which I think is fun. Sure. Um, tons of questions in there. Yeah. Uh, my first question is, uh, is there any kind of rivalry between the card game players and the video <laughs> game players? I would love to hear a little bit about the personalities of the people who play the video game yeah. versus the card game. I would suspect that there is some sort of like a little bit of like some griff between the two. Yeah, it's a really funny question. I think it depends on like the level of player you're asking. To me personally, like I, I think all the high level players in both games respect each other because we understand how difficult it is to be the very best at these respective games. And I actually think a lot of us have like ventured into the other game at some point as well and realized, wow, like this is really challenging. And the guys that do well put in a lot of work. And so, so for me personally, like a lot of my friends growing up were actually card game players because I started there. And I, I just have like so much respect for all of them because it's really difficult. Um, and part of the reason I left the game was because I remember I was at a tournament and I just like dead drew, meaning like I had no cards to play with at all for like two games in a row. And I had like a consistent deck as well. And I was like, you know, at least in the video game side, I can like make my own fortune. And even if I'm like in a bad position from turn one, like I could figure out a way to play out of it. But with the cards, it's like the deck just gave me nothing to work with at all. And so that's kind of why I shifted over. But I think it's funny, like, I, if you ask, like, players from both sides which game is harder, I think often the players will advocate for their side rather than sure, the other. Sure, of course. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of mutual respect, honestly. I think Pokemon is also just one of the best communities I've ever been in, and I think people are generally, like, very respectful and understanding. And, uh, yeah, for, for me, like, I, I get inspired by a lot of the, the uh, like, top card game players because there's, like, a lot of consistency in a game that does have, like, variance. Like, both the card game and the video games have some, you know, variance in them, but the best players are still like constantly at the best. And so it's like a reminder to me as a competitor that, you know, even though sometimes people complain about bad luck or things not going their way, like there's always more you can do as a competitor to like be better basically. But yeah, long story short, not really, I don't think there's really any rivalry there. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Master mastering of both crafts is, I guess is, is important. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like basically Pokemon international, like as the umbrella company is the like mastermind orchestrator of a lot of these tournaments and events. And I was about to ask, you know, what is your relationship with Nintendo or other official Pokemon institutions? Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, what it takes to enter a tournament. Um, 
do you have to pay? Do you get paid? Um, it sounds like it's obviously grown a, a tremendous amount from you know you telling telling me back in 2014, hundred people used to show up and now yeah. eight hundred people show up. Um, but sort of you know walk me through how um, what your relationship and also as a video content creator is with these official institutions that help organize the tournaments themselves. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think because first of all, my relationship with the Pokemon Company International, like I also work as a commentator for them, and so they hired me in 2016. Um, and I commentated like the World Championships that year. Uh, and so, you know, I'm kind of like a contractor, I would say, for a lot of these like big, you know, na- regional, national, international, and World Championship level events. Um, and so like that's like a professional working relationship that I have with them. Uh, I also actually write some articles for like the Pokemon website. It's just kind of like strategic breakdowns on, oh, like a tournament's coming up. Here's what you might want to expect to see. Or this tournament just happened. Here's kind of like a, a rundown of big takeaways from it. Um, so it's been really fun. I think I'm, I feel really lucky to be able to work with the company, obviously, as you know, great as them uh, in, in like a working capacity. And it is just an experience I thought I'd really never have, especially as a kid. You know, I was just like, oh, I like playing the games when I was growing up. But uh, to be able to work as a commentator is really fun. Um, and yeah, to also be a writer for them is awesome. I, I think like for, you know, like the regional level events, since the Pokemon Company International is not really involved on that level, it's like, I there's not really any, I guess, working relationship or relationship with the organizers. You know, they're generally people that I've known in the sense, like, I've known that they've run tournaments for a long time, but I wouldn't say I know, like, the organizers personally. Um, it's mm-hmm. a tireless job, honestly. And so I think it's like, they, they put in a lot of work. It's funny, though, that you mentioned, like, uh, whether or not you have to pay to go to these events, because that's actually been, like, a really contentious point where it's, like, entry fees have actually risen exponentially. Uh, but when I first started, I think up until 20, maybe 14 or 15, like, all the tournaments were actually free to enter. And so you, you could just literally show up, register, and, complain, uh, like, play immediately. Um, and then wow. throughout the years, like, they started charging entry fees. It was, like, maybe first $20, then 30 I think now we're at, like, 60 to 70 price point. And so a lot oh, of people are like, oh, my gosh. Price like, creeping. Yeah, price like, everyone's creeping. like, yeah, that's so expensive. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, I think, um, like a lot of competitive games, you know, the, people, the majority of people that are playing are just there to have a good time. Like, they're not there to realistically win the championship. And uh, at the end of the day, like, being at these tournaments is, like, a nice celebration of Pokemon. You get to meet other people that love the same hobby as you, and you get a chance to compete. And I think the thing with Pokemon especially is, like, you can play the game online, but it's not nearly the same as, like, going face-to-face against someone in person. You see them right, right next to you and you have that human interaction. Um, mm. And so, yeah, like entry fees have gone up. But I think from the business perspective, at the end of the day, like tournament organizers need to, you know, be positive as well. Like you're not trying to run these tournaments at a loss, right? It's really expensive to get the venue and hire contractors and X, Y, and Z. Um, and so I think the main thing is the player base has been like, well, there's no transparency. We Like we just keep hearing about raising like these entry fees, but we don't know what that's going towards. And we have no explanation for why that's the case. Um, so I think that's where like the player base is a little bit frustrated because sometimes it feels like there might be like a disconnect between the player base and like the organizers. Right, right. That's that's really interesting, and it's uh, very much like a ooh, like union could be coming, and yeah. <laughs> for the for pro Pokemon players. Um, and it's just interesting that you know for a video game company, at least from from the other side, right, with you know helped launch the Overwatch League and and CDL. Like we very much like see that as an important part of the marketing and branding strategy for. The, the game itself, yeah. right? So that all it helps like ship units and to fundamentally. So it's interesting that um, for you guys, right? The the price point for entry has gone up, but it seems like demand has also gone up at the same time. So I don't know how inelastic or elastic yeah. uh, <laughs> Pokemon tournaments are, but it sounds like they're the they're people are willing to pay uh, quite quite a bit. Yeah. And so you know, in in, in that regard, uh, right now I know that we're on um, Scarlet and Violet as the newest generation. Yeah. Um, and you're making content right now for for Scarlet and Violet. Um, is there any kind of friction for you for making content for the latest gen versus a generation that you're particularly passionate about? Um, you know, for me, like Diamond and Pearl happens mm. to be one of my favorite. Yeah. You know, when do you, are you forced to shift over or do you just naturally shift over because, you know, your videos won't get views if they don't? Um, tell me about the the generation problem for, for Pokemon. There's like, I don't know, like eight, nine? I don't yeah. know how many generations yeah, yeah. there are. That's a, it's a really good question. I think for me, because my focus is like, let me educate people on like how to get good at the game currently. I generally like, you know, follow whatever newest game is out, right? And so, yeah, like, we shifted away from Sword and Shield. Like, I haven't touched Sword and Shield since Scarlet and Violet came out. Like, they're just not people playing anymore, right? And it's like, maybe there's like a very small fan base that like likes to still go back to the games and play competitively. But it's like, you know, when you, the, the new generations come out, it's like all the tournaments are in this game and you completely shift focuses. And 
part of the cool thing about you know Pokemon competitively is like each generation like kind of builds off the last one, but there's like new mechanic changes, there's new Pokemon mm-hmm. introduced. It's it's honestly like it's just a different game, right? Like the skill sets kind of transfer over, but for the most part, it's like the the metas and what you're used to playing against like are completely different. Um, I do think it's interesting because there actually are a lot of Pokemon YouTubers that don't do competitive content, they'll do things like Nuzlocks, which is like a brand of content where you try to have self-imposed challenges and try to beat these games. So Nuzlocks have actually been really popular and the thing about that is it doesn't matter what game you're playing. Um, and so like people will Nuzlocke like old games, like they'll go back to Diamond and Pearl or even you know other games and, and try to play through them. But I'd say from the competitive side for the most part, what's most relevant right now is you know what are the tournaments using and uh, or yeah that's in always in the newest generation. That being said, I think one genre of videos I want to start making is kind of like recap of like older generations. Like, oh, here's a tournament I competed in back in 2010. Like, if this was, you know, multiple, multiple games ago and generations ago. Like, here's what I used and kind of what, what was like the, the game, what did it look like basically back then? And so I think that's an interesting genre of video that like doesn't, uh, like it hasn't really fully been fleshed out on YouTube. And there are some creators that have done really cool like versions of that. And so that's something I'm mm-hmm. interested in. Uh, but in terms of the battling stuff, yeah, it's always like the newest generation and the newest game. Got it. And I'm sure that also like contributes to the viewership numbers. That exactly. You serve yeah. What people are what people are looking for. And so, and I actually like that's a good jumping off point to sort of shift into growing your actual channel, right? Yeah. Like, so you're you know you've decided like okay when new when new generation comes out, we shift on to that meta. I'm going to make content for Scarlet and Violet off Sword and Shield off of whatever was before. And so you know once upon a time though your your channel had zero. <laughs> actually, well, it sounds like you never had zero views, but you know once upon a time like you had zero views, um, at least before you had the first thousand. <laughs> and so before um, I want to, you know, we talked about the first video and, you know, how did, what did it feel like when you looked at the first number of views? Um, and uh, it sounds like you had a really f- compelling start. Yeah. But, you know, how did you motivate yourself to keep going, even though maybe the second video didn't have like didn't double your numbers or something like that? Yeah, I think, you know, my journey as a content creator, like, I just started because I was like, I love, I love Pokemon, I love, uh, you know, playing competitively, and I just want to share that with any number of people in the world. It could be one viewer, it could be 10 viewers, and I would be happy. So I, like, came in with, like, no goals or expectations at all, and I was like, you know, we'll just kind of see where it goes, right? And I think I got lucky because... Yeah, I probably had a little bit more like velocity than most people starting out because like some people create like hundreds of videos right before like it really like clicks and it, it like the content creation journey in general is difficult. I think I got lucky in the sense that like at the time, you know, if you look at the market, like there was just no other like there are very few other high level competitive players who were like trying to compete at the world championships that were also uploading content. So like being, you know, first to, to the market in that regards, like helped me a ton. And then, yeah, I was able to like collaborate and meet a lot of other like big Pokemon YouTubers who were interested in the competitive space at the time as well. Um, and so I feel lucky in the sense that the first few videos, I guess, just did way better than I thought. Like I was expecting to get like 10 views, right? Even like a hundred or a thousand um, was really exciting for me. And then I think because like there were, there was basically no one else really doing that kind of content on a consistent basis. Um, I was just trying to upload like every day. And even now I try to upload like every day or two and like, have that having that level of consistency i think helps a lot um and so yeah I, yeah i'd say like i was never really metrics focused but i guess the numbers are honestly better than i would have expected and it just like never really went away and i was like okay i'll just keep doing this and maybe like the subscribers or the views will follow um and it really did and i think part of that was like being the first to do it or one of the first to do it and also just being really consistent at it got it and so you mentioned cadence and that you upload almost every day right yeah. you know what are the most important aspects in your mind of maintaining and, and growing a channel you know in game development we talk about content and cadence mm. right and so how do you think about that and how is it actually influenced by the pokemon community specifically and maybe the cadence of the structural tournament system yeah i, I think actually interesting enough like most of my viewers probably or not most but a significant amount like don't actually really follow like the competitive circuit that much i think a lot of people are just like oh like I think po- competitive Pokemon's interesting. I like seeing this creator use like my favorite Pokemon or whatever. And so I, I think the cool thing is that the Pokemon franchise overall is just huge, right? Like the IP is just ginormous and it's so popular. It's like what you were saying, like almost everyone knows Pokemon, right? Now competitive Pokemon is such like a subset of it. That being said, because like the overall like, I don't know, TAM of, of like people who follow Pokemon is so big, like even though like maybe it's only 1% or X% that like follow competitive Pokemon, that's still a huge number because of um yeah just how big pokemon as a franchise is and i think for me as a go- one of my goals as a creator is just to share with people hey competitive pokemon is a thing you might not know about it right now but let me show you how awesome it is and hopefully like convince you to watch our tournaments or, or watch you know creators going into the future um so i think 
Yeah, in terms of growth, what's interesting is I think uh, some creators you'll see like huge spikes, right? And they'll grow exponentially and like scale up immediately. For me, it feels like it's actually been a little bit more like of a linear path from 2014 to now with like big one or two month bumps during uh, new game releases. And so like, I think I was at maybe like 150,000 subscribers right before Scarlet and Violet. The channel is like closing in on 200,000, which is really cool. I think the first month or two of a new game is like the most important time to get things right because like, you know, everyone's searching up this kind of stuff on YouTube. And so the algorithm will just like work in your favor a little bit more. Um, and so, yeah, like the first month I had when the new games came out, which was crazy, where it was like the battling content, which I was doing, which before, you know, the new games was maybe getting like 20 to 30,000 views per video. It was doing like 100 to 200K. And now it's like stabilized a little bit more at like 50, 60, 70K. But that to me is awesome because I was like, I want to just keep making the same content that I do and just like grow the overall viewer base of that. Right. And so I think there are some creators that are like very hyper fixated on growth. And it's all about how do I create videos that like really will either go viral or get a ton of views yeah, and yeah, subscribers. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really smart. I, you know, one of my best friends is closing in on a million subscribers. He um, is, I would say, like the face of Pokemon YouTube. Um, Wolfie BGC is his channel. And he's also like considered one of, if not the greatest player of all time. So it's really interesting because like he also started with like the hyper competitive, you know, niche, but then kind of branched off to more generic videos. Like he opened a in real life Pokemon gym video that like I think has already two million views. And uh, I know you and I actually talked about that a little bit. And so it's, it's interesting yeah, to see yeah, kind yeah. Of his strategy because he'll do like really in-depth breakdowns of like, you know, tournaments that he's won, but he'll also do like more generic fun Pokemon videos. And I think like, his, his model is really interesting because he's figured out like, how do I capture like the, the core audience that already was watching my stuff, but also introducing like, you know, tons of new people that maybe don't follow competitive Pokemon a ton um, into my channel as well. I think for me, I'm very much still staying in like the competitive subset slash, you know, uh, niche, but I'm okay with that because I like just being able to, you know, continue to like be one of the uh, bigger creators in that space. And then how do you perceive then your actual you know, it's, 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 you mentioned that you're, you're friends, right? Is there any kind of like com competition in between you, the two of you for, for to compete for like subscribers <laughs> or views, right? Or is it very much of a, more of a collaborative environment where, you know, like a Pokimane and XQC will get on and it'll be like a little bit more like, oh, we're going to lift each other. We're going to use each other's communities to like both bolster our brand. Um, how Walk me through that relationship for you and how many other like quote Pokemon VGC competitors do you feel like you have? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I'd say I, you know, my goal is to just get as many people into the game as possible. And I think it's better if we all uplift each other and work together. I think the cool thing about the competitive Pokemon community in particular is like a lot of us have like grown up with each other. And so maybe we're, we don't talk every day, but like I have so much respect for so many of the really like creators that are out there making content in the same space. And so I personally don't see it as competition. I think if any of us grow, we all kind of win because then it gets more people interested in the game. If more people are interested, hopefully that viewership will trickle down to like other creators as well. Right. And I think the competition part is a really interesting thing. Cause I think that's one thing that can actually make YouTube kind of tricky, uh, especially for people that do it full time. I think that's so easy to obsess over metrics and they're like, Oh, like this creator has more views or more subscribers. Like, and often, you know, I, I think one thing is like feeling like maybe you're putting out really good quality content, but people just aren't watching it. I think it's like, jealousy is you know an innate trait that a lot of people have and that's understandable you know that's that's just how a lot of humans operate but for me i think it's a lot better if like you know we're all friends and we work together to try to grow you know the scene rather than feel like there's you know competition between all of us um and so yeah i, I say it's very collaborative like wolf for example um he's just one of my best friends as well and so i get being, even being able to be involved in content ideas that he does like being i was at his gym as like a gym leader which was so cool and you know we've done like collaborations where we battled against each other um yeah it's like i, I want to root for the success of everyone in the scene because i think it just like if, if someone wins like we all win and i think that's all the mentality that a lot of uh, competitive Pokemon YouTubers have, which is awesome. Because at the end of the day, it's like such a small subset of the overall franchise that like we're all just trying to grow that subset so we can all eat at the end of the day, you know, like. <laughs> sure, sure. And then, so, I mean, for you, you talked that you're not as metrics focused as maybe some YouTube um, content creators, but you know, what are the metrics that you, that you do look at? I'm sure you're guided by something, right? Um, and so what tools do you use to actually like drive, drive growth? Um, you know, is it inorganic or organic? Have you ever really like paid? Are you using video tactics or certain sites to help drive traffic? Um, I, I, obviously it sounds like it's a very open and collaborative environment, but even for the biggest, right. I'm sure that there's a lot of, there's a lot going on there about AB testing videos mm -hmm. and like what, what, what format like does better? Did you ever do any kind of that sort of like growth assessment on your own channel? 
Yeah, I'd say I haven't done like a deep dive on my own like analytics, which is interesting because I consider myself to be like super analytical. But I, I think for me, it's like, you know, the metrics I'm mainly looking at are, are, are views, like click through rate and like kind of what what does result in newer subscribers. Um, what's interesting is because I do like iterate on the same video concept all the time. It's like it's pretty consistent. as like, oh, I post a video. Maybe it'll get me like 100 or 200 new subscribers. And that's pretty consistent. What I am now trying to venture into is like, more edited content like i think video essays in general have popped off on youtube in the last you know few months or years and it's a uh, something that i really like because it can be informative and you know entertaining and like a well-edited video i think it's just like really entertaining to watch and so you know i posted one that broke down like this big finals that happened this year and that one was like got a little bit more views than normal but like the subscriber growth from that was crazy right because it's like oh this is a video concept that like you don't have to like watch for 45 minutes right and and just watch some guy play you know like four or five games uh that's completely unscripted and unedited um to get into it and so i think one thing that's also helped is just thinking more about like titles and thumbnails like i think obviously that's something that a lot of creators talk about on youtube and, and for me it's mainly just like how do i capture the ethos of the video in a way that's not like super you know clickbaity right like you i want to give reason a, a reason for people to click and then have them click and actually get them to stay rather than like being like oh this doesn't really match what you know i was advertised basically your expectations exactly yeah and so you know i think that's an important part of the game though i think like even just small optimizations i've done throughout the years like i think when i first started youtube what everyone did would be like have a series and they would have like the number like number episode number four out of 20 or whatever like on thumbnail and i would do that even though it's like none of the episodes or videos tied to each other and i think like just removing that from the thumbnail and title help because i think a lot of new reviewers are probably like okay number seven 17 like i haven't seen one through 16 so why would i click on this so like oh, changing that and then like for example my thumbnails it used to have like a logo and it was like oh this is the, the, the series and i was like for this generation i was like you know i think it's fine to just get rid of that as a whole and just like have a very simple thumbnail where i have like a you know a png of like one or two pokemon are in the video and just like make them you know pop out a little bit more and so there's so many different things that have led to growth it's hard to say like this one or these two things like have directly changed things but i, I think the thing about youtube is it's like always growing as a platform what what content people enjoy and are watching is always always changing as well. And I think if you like ask, you know, YouTubers, especially those that do it full time, a lot of it is like studying the game. What's working for other people that do content in the same space? What's not working for them, right? Like what kind of t uh, titles and thumbnails are like more optimal versus not? Um, I do think it's important to kind of like, you know, maybe carve your own path as well not, and not always just like kind of copy whatever you think uh, everyone else is doing. But I think like paying attention to the general trend is, is really important, right? Because there's so many good takeaways you can have from it. And does YouTube help you with any of these things? Um, share a little bit about your relationship with 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 Lord YouTube. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'd, say it's, I'd say there's really not much of a relationship. I mean, they have like a creator, you know, set of tools. I mean, like, I think the fact that they do give like robust analytics is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I know one thing that people talk a lot about is, you know, when you post a video, like it will show you how it, the video is doing relative to the past 10 videos uh, that you're do, uh, like you've posted. And so I think, that's something that a lot of people like hyper fixate on. It's like, okay, I just posted this new video concept. I have no idea how it's going to do. Where does it rank against like the last 10 videos I've done? So mm -hmm. um, the, the live tracking is honestly really interesting, especially because sometimes you'll post a video, it's brand new, and maybe it's like a seven or an eight out of 10. Um, but then after like a, you know, a few weeks or even a few days, like maybe that grows to like a two or a one. So the fact like YouTube does keep track of that, I think is really cool. But you know, I know like some creators probably have like someone at YouTube that's like their go-to person to talk to about stuff. I've never really had that experience. It's kind of just been like me trying to figure out things by myself. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess like, do you think that there are tools that they should have that would make your job easier um, besides like the analytics dashboard? I think from my perspective, um, again, like having worked on some of the media deals yeah. for, for Twitch and for YouTube is that the... The, the CPMs for for YouTube are lower than Twitch because it's uh, Twitch is like a higher, like, quote, more premium audience um, or like a more like Twitch is more like a gaming landing point, right? Mm -hmm. Like people come to Twitch for gaming where people come to YouTube for like lots of stuff. So yeah. you're more guaranteed that the people that you want to watch your stuff are more are aggregating around this website um, versus YouTube, which is much more dispersed. And so how do you feel that YouTube supports you guys having being maybe in a niche? Actually, I don't even think gaming is niche anymore, but a, <laughs> a huge gaming category, but Pokemon, maybe be, Pokemon, competitive Pokemon play, maybe being niche within gaming versus something like a Call of Duty, um, which draws a lot of traffic to the gaming portion of YouTube. Uh, what could YouTube be doing better? And, uh, or do you feel adequately supported by, by the company? 
Yeah, I guess it's an interesting question because I never like step back to actually think about it. I'm always just like, oh, I'm kind of doing my own thing and, and whatnot. I will say like YouTube has added like new features in like that creator suite, which I thought was interesting. Like it'll tell you here are like the 10 channels that people that watch you are also watching. Here are the videos that people are watching um, are also watching. And I think there's like been a newer feature with like, here's what your viewers are actually searching on YouTube as well. I, I would say for me personally, I haven't really like done a deep dive into any of those because I already have a sense of like who, you know, my, my viewers are also watching. It's exactly people who I imagine they'd be watching. Um, I think the search feature is interesting where it's like, oh, if they're searching for things that don't exist, maybe that's something I can leverage to my advantage. Mm. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Um, I, I will say if anything, I wish like YouTube had more robust tools within like editing specifically. Like it'd be great to like upload a video and like have more functionality in terms of editing because often it's like, oh, if you end up like having a mistake or an error, instead of like being able to edit it within YouTube, like you have to like take it down and completely re-edit it. And that's just kind of like a nightmare sometimes. That's actually like the one thing I'd actually like want more than anything. Like sometimes my in-game audio is like too high or my mic is too low and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to take this down completely and re-edit it in the editing software that I have to use. Um, and I, if YouTube had more functionality just to like make it easier in that regard, I actually think that that's what I would want more than anything. Um, and like they have some editing tools, you know, you can like clip out certain things and you can like get rid of music. But for example, like I, I had a video that had like uh, a copyright song, even though we actually had the license for it. Um, and you know, YouTube was like, oh, like we have this tool where you can like remove the song uh, and still have your audio. And I was like, okay, that's really cool. Uh, and it was like a beta tool, right? So it's like, I get it, you know, shouldn't really expect too much from it. Um, but then I tried it and it just sounded like I was underwater for that like two minute segment. And I was like, mm. well, it's cool that they're trying things like that. I want to see them continue to like, you know, maybe develop them and make them better. Um, but for the most part, it's like, yeah, with, even with that tool existing, like it didn't get me the quality that I wanted. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to take it down and like change the song and whatever. So if they had more like, yeah, tools to make editing easier after you upload, I think that would be really cool. And that's what I want more than anything. Interesting. Okay. So for you, it's the, it's for you, it's basically content creator tools that would make your life a lot easier. Yeah. Um, and then also like, I guess in that, in that vein, I want to talk about like monetization and income. Mm. Right. And so like in a survey that was done, um, by YouGov in 2021, the most popular dream job of teens, male and female was professional streamer or YouTube creator, um, which is a vocation that obviously did not exist like 10 years ago. <laughs> really. Um, and this dream bet, uh, beats out typical aspirations such as doctor or nurse or musician or actor <laughs> or professional athlete. Um, and so for you, you're doing this part time, but you know, how would you perceive this as, as if it were, if it were your real career, would you be making enough? Would YouTube basically have enough of an economic and monetization engine around your channel for you to be able to do this? Yeah. You know, it's a really good question. I think it's something that I've thought a lot about, you know, whether or not I'd even want to do it full time. And for now, the answer is still no. I think I used to be like, Never. Now I'm like, you know, I feel like I have to at least entertain it as an option. Um, I'd say long story short, like it, it does generate enough revenue actually just purely off like ads alone um, that makes it sustainable, um, at least for now, like, you know, as a career. But I, I think the, the thing about content creation is, is like you never know where you'll be in a year from now. Right. And like the world is evolving so quickly. And um, for, for me, like I, I like doing this more as a hobby. And I think like not having to rely on it for an income makes me just enjoy it more, honestly, because I think if I were doing it full time, I'd be more worried about oh, how much money am I going to make in a month? You know, am I making enough? Am I meeting my goals? And then also like probably be hyper fixated a little bit more on growth. And then I, I know I'm like innately really competitive uh, as a person as well. And I feel like if we're doing it full time, I would just like take that competition to the next level. And yeah, in, in a way that like maybe can be done in a healthy way, but it's like something that I, I like have thought about. I'm like, maybe, you know, I'm afraid it would like consume me a little bit too much. And so for me, the, the main thing is I love it as a hobby. It's really, you know, it feels really great to do it as a hobby and it's been really fun. And I like wonder if I were to do it full time, whether or not that would like take some of the joy away. I think for me also like being parents of immigrants and uh, also just like having gone through like all this education, being a GSP as well. I'm like, you know, I don't mind like having a more stable career path while also like growing this on the side. Like YouTube to me, um, I guess my Pokemon brand in general feels like a startup in some ways. And so it's like something that I want to continue to build up, you know, while, while I'm working or while I'm in school and it's, it's been balancing. It's been good. Uh, sometimes I do wish I had like six more hours in a day to like make more videos or, you know, script down more video ideas. But yeah, in terms of monetization for me uh, as a creator, it's like mainly just ad revenue. You know, you have like subscriptions, uh, paid subscriptions on YouTube as well. That's just for anyone that like wants to support, you know, it's like five bucks a month or whatever. Um, sponsorships is obviously part of it. I would say I've been a lot more um, careful about sponsorships in general, because especially for someone that like doesn't rely on it for income, I think like 
the brand hit that you can take if you take even one bad sponsorship can really dilute like your viewer base and uh, get people, you know, just, yeah, make you lose supporters and followers. And to me, like the monetary gain from like a single sponsorship or two isn't worth like, I guess, diluting mm-hmm. that brand value. Um, but I guess it's interesting because like now maybe like the pay is scaled up with sponsorships now that like the videos are getting more views as well. Um, so something I'm like thinking a little bit more about, like how do I continue to like make sure I'm taking sponsors that are relevant to the brand that also like aren't like super, super questionable, for example. Um, and so, yeah, like those are the main revenue streams uh, from the content side. But, you know, I also get paid as like a uh, commentator for events and uh, writing for Pokemon as well. Sometimes they do like scripted videos for Pokemon that they'll like show uh, during downtime uh, of, of these big streams, for example. Um, and I'm also part of a team called Beast Coast uh, and I make content for them and so get paid by them as well. So it's like a bunch of different revenue streams. I haven't really like ventured into some other ones. I think like you know, naturally merchandising is something that a lot of people do. That's something that I think I'd be interested in one day, just like for now, you know, it's kind of a, you know, I'd say the bottom of the priorities. Um, writing is something actually I really like. And so it's like starting a sub stack and maybe writing more is just something I'm interested in. I don't know if it even has to be paid, but I think it's just cool. But yeah, as a creator, I'd say most of the revenue is still coming from um, just, you know, pure YouTube ads. And I, I think one, gaming monetizes uh, decently well, especially relative to some other brands or start franchises or genres. Two, like a lot of my viewership base is like US, like, you know, 18 to 35, like affluent young males. And so I think like the CPM rates are a little bit higher, um, which is nice. And then three, because I make like super long form content, it's like, you know, think about putting an ad every like 10 minutes ish or so. Uh, but for an hour long video, like, yeah, just having longer form content where you can have those mid rolls, but mm. not to the point where it's like incredibly obnoxious, also just generates like more ad revenue, which is cool. And so that's okay. one of the upsides of like making videos. Yeah, maybe like they get like, fewer views in like an eight minute video, but because there's more ads dispersed between the hour and so many people are watching for that long period of time, uh, ends up being pretty beneficial. Yeah, that is really, is really interesting. And it's probably like an interesting examination of the trade-off between like time commitment and making really long videos, right? Which is, um, you know, yours, like you said, 45 minutes to an hour versus something that's shorter at like the TikTok shorts, like 30 seconds. Um, But then sort of what is the ad trade-off between making a short form content video or a long form content video? Definitely. Um, And so for right now, like what is your time commitment like, like per week? Yeah, I I like really love would love to try to make a video every day. And I think when the new games came out in December and January, I was like pretty good at that. It's fallen off a little bit in February and March because like GSP just got so crazy with all the like classes and uh, there's been a lot of going on. And then I was also like, yeah, I competed in my first tournament in March. And I think like I only have so much time in a day to think about Pokemon. And so like, you know, the, the few days before this tournament in Vancouver was like the first regional championship I attended. I was like, instead of like making content during that time, I'm just going to like hyper fixate on like practicing and like getting to a point where I feel like I could do well in the tournament. Um, and so like, I kind of like allocate Pokemon time just in general. You know, when I make a video, sometimes it's as short as like 45 minutes to an hour often takes like two, maybe two and a half hours um, to like get the content, you know, put it together and then upload it. Um, so it can be a decent time commitment. I do think like, Balancing it while being at Stanford specifically has been interesting because there's so much going on here all the time. Um, but for me, it's something that I know I love. And, you know, when I make a video and I feel like it's good and I post it, it like makes me just happier in general. I'm like, oh, you know, I feel like I put in something, put out something really good today that I'm proud about. Um, so in February and March, it's like slowed down to maybe one every two or three days. I'd love to get back on that daily cadence. And I feel like I was like falling behind just because I was doing so many other things outside of content creation. But the good thing is the channel will always be there. The viewers will be waiting for you as well. And so even though, like for me personally, I do think as a creator, it's very easy to get into the mindset. Like I need to post every day. I need to post every day. Um, and I think reminding myself that I don't always have to do that is something that has taken me time to learn, but it's been healthy for me as well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I totally understand the the time commitment part. Uh, as, as, and I <laughs> yeah, yeah. definitely don't make nearly as much content yeah. as you, but it's definitely uh, being at the being at school is it's a it's a huge challenge. Um, and I think yeah, you kind of get stuck thinking that your fans are out there and that you need to do X Y Z. Um, and you have this kind of parasocial relationship with your with your audience, right? Because all people know a lot about you, um, and you're making kind of like you're blasting out a medium into a forum. And so I want to learn a little bit about how maybe this has affected your personal or professional life. Yeah. Um, you know, we hear a lot about, especially on the streamer side. Um, you know, you know, two streamers get together, they get shipped and put in a relationship, <laughs> and then there's like on screen breakups, right? Um, you know, you're not making streaming content, you're making bookended video content. Content, but is there any kind of like times that you've been maybe negatively hurt or impacted by a fan's comment or it's really gotten in the way of maybe how a professional 
uh, firm has has perceived you, right? Like if I'm a McKinsey and I'm looking at your resume, <laughs> right, and I see, oh, this guy's been making Pokemon videos for ten years. You know how how has that gone for you in your life? Yeah, all really interesting questions. I'd say first of all, generally it's been super positive. I think part of it for me was always like, you know, I want to make sure the content that I'm putting out, like whoever's boss, whoever is my boss at whatever firm I'm working at, like they can watch it and be like, oh, that's interesting. Or their kids can watch it. And also, you know, they, they won't feel offended or whatnot. In terms, like, and that's why I'm like, my brand is like super PG. You know, I'm like, I, I never swear. And I try to be as like professional as possible. Um, I'd like to think that's kind of like my personality. And I'm not like, it, you know, obviously the way people present themselves on YouTube can be quite different from who they are as people. But for me, I was like, I, I like trying to be as genuine and as authentic as possible. I think it just like resonates with viewers better. So I don't have really too many issues there. I think in terms of the professional side, if anything, it's actually probably benefited me more than it hurt me. <laughs> like I'd say hmm. I wouldn't be at Stanford if I, you know, or gotten into Stanford if I didn't do this Pokemon stuff. Like my, my entire application was kind of centered around it. Um, even when I was applying for like undergrad, like, yeah, Pokemon was kind of like the centerpiece of my applications. Um, the first job I had, you know, before coming to Stanford was working for Team Liquid's investment and ownership group. And like, I think just being a competitive Pokemon player uh, gave me more like credibility there, right? It's like I understand the space, and and I think the funniest thing about working at that place specifically is I actually had met Stephen Victor, the CEOs of Liquid, back in 2015 to talk about competitive Pokemon. And so like when uh, basically I was like, this is so cool. Like I've actually already met these guys before, not from the the professional side of of gaming or esports, but more because yeah, I was a player and they were interested in the space. Uh, and so yeah, I think it's actually opened a lot of doors for me. And for me, it's like. You know, if a company's like, oh, like you do this uh, Pokemon stuff, like we don't really want to hire you. Like that's understandable. That's fine. I want to continue doing this, you know, for as long as I can in my life. And so um, it's it's fine. You know, it's like I, if that's the expectation. Um, but so far, it's actually been really good. I'd say like, yeah, it's actually opened a lot of professional relationships because there's like a surprising amount of people that watch that are just like, you know, working professionals that do interesting things in, in life as well. And I think it's also open like doors in terms of meeting other creators that are really cool. I think, um, yeah, it's, it, it's always surreal to me when it's like someone that I am a fan of on YouTube also like watches my content is a fan of my content. I think that's probably like one of the most surreal things and being able to just like get to know people that I've been watching for years and suddenly like be able to talk to them and be acquaintances with them. I think it's really, really cool. So I'd say those are all the positive sides in terms of negative. I think like, it's something I actually thought a lot about because I think if you, the more you scale up as a creator, the more like generic people are watching your content, right? Like a lot of people that mm. you, you end up getting viewers that just like don't really know who you are and they'll maybe stumble upon one video. And then like, I think that can often lead to maybe slightly more negativity. Um, I think the internet is just a fairly negative place. Like there, there's a lot of positivity. I've gotten a lot from it. And I think the way you use it and conduce yourself on the, on the internet in general also lends to it. But yeah, I'd say like one thing that I've spent a lot of time thinking about while doing this throughout all the years is like, how do I think about negative comments? Um, and especially from people that like, don't know me, you know, often it's like, Oh, if someone just comes in and like leaves something really rude, like how does that affect me? And I think, yeah, you have to be a, you have to have a thick skin to be a creator. Everyone says that, but at the end of the, end of the day, we're still humans, right? Like I've never met a creator yeah. who's like, Oh yeah. Like none of these comments bother me. And, and I've had times where it's like, yeah, I've had a great day. I check my YouTube comment section, read something just like, I don't know, really nasty and that like rarely happens but when it does i'm like well that just kind of ruined my day you know i kind of feel For bad sure. about it um, <laughs> and so i've always i've thought about this and i was like i try to be a little bit more intentional about like when i read my comment section like is it at a time of the day where like if i read anything negative will <laughs> make me feel sad you know and so um I, you know i think a, a lot of creators once they scale up it's they it, you're at the point where like you don't read your comments like maybe you'll have like moderators go through and filter stuff out or respond to people and like them but for me because it's like still a smaller viewership base like i really do enjoy reading everything myself and like leaving likes and comments for people um and so yeah i i could probably honestly like hire a moderator just to like go through and like maybe delete the stuff but for the most part i'd say it's like 99.99 percent positive you just have that 0.01 percent like every, every few weeks or months or whatnot and so yeah um i'd say Overall, though, it's been it's been positive, but I think it's taken a lot of time to get used to as well, because especially as I started when I was like, what, 15 or 16, like and, and reading, reading stuff, negative stuff about you at any age and stuff, but especially when you're a kid and you're still growing up and developing as well. So uh, that's probably the thing I've had to get like, take time to get used to most. 
Got it. So I'm just picturing you grabbing that Piplup um, plushie behind you and putting it in your lap and hugging it for, for moral support yes, or yes, potentially exactly. grabbing a stress ball. <laughs> and you're like, all right, I'm about to read my comments. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're just like, Ugh. Um, And so uh, maybe in, in that regard, let's take the uh, the last like, um, you know, 10 minutes here to, to talk about, you know, the future of, of YouTube and that dynamic and maybe toxicity is, is a part of that dynamic, but, um, you know, what's going on with, with YouTube, right? Um, you know, it's been, especially for gaming, YouTube has had a gaming agenda for, for some time now. Esports is particularly well on YouTube. Um, Twitch is obviously much more for just chatting IRL entertainers platform, or at least that's the way I perceive it. Right. Um, what market do you think you know YouTube gaming is specifically serving, and 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 how are you part of that? And what do you think is sort of the future there? Um, I know that YouTube has gone for a big push into YouTube Shorts um, yeah. and to to compete with TikTok. Um, do you think that they're doing things to reduce the toxicity and the kind of the hate speech and the commenting that you were just just alluding to? Yeah, all great questions. I think big picture wise, YouTube still kind of feels like the king of platforms to me. Like I, I think. For so many creators, it's like, okay, how do I grow my brand so that people come watch me on YouTube? And I think the general reason for that, and it's obviously different between genres and different creators, but at least especially like in the gaming space and people I know, it's like building your brand on YouTube is so important because like generally like monetize as well, it's more consistent as well. And you know, even if you have like 2 million followers on TikTok, like what does that translate to in terms of ad revenue? You know, uh, it de- obviously depends on what kind of space you're working in, but for the most part, I think a lot of creators now I know are just like very YouTube focused and obviously they'll still continue to grow their brands on TikTok or Twitch or uh, Twitter, for example. But a lot of that's trying to actually get people to funnel down to YouTube. I think obviously like, you know, YouTube is such a big platform and I, I think there's been a fair amount of like concerns from creators as well. I think one big thing was kind of the way they were approaching monetization. And I knew some creators that were essentially getting demonetized because I think they would like swear maybe in the first like, like 30 seconds of the video and like that one mm. swear word would flag something and you know, there were big creators that would essentially get all of their videos demonetized immediately. I think that's really scary, right? I think one of the toughest things about a creator is like you're at you're at mercy of the platform that you're on, right? So yeah, what if YouTube arbitrarily decides that your stuff can't be monetized anymore, right? That's so stressful as a creator because imagine you put like hundreds of hours making this video, you release it, and all of a sudden YouTube's like, nope, sorry, you can't make money off of it. Like every view that you're getting during that period is like a view that's not monetized. And for people that do it for their livelihoods, that's really stressful. So I think from a lot of bigger creators, like they want to see maybe just like better communication about things like this and maybe having more people at the company that they can like go to directly when issues pop up. I've also had a fair amount of friends that just like had their YouTubes like hacked into. Um, and, you know, like it ends up like it's often, I, I think, just people that like change the, the channel completely and then suddenly it's like a crypto live stream. And I think that's like, <laughs> something like legitimately it's been an issue. It's a crypto yeah, live yeah. It's, and then like they, you know, they'll like rename the channel to something that's like Elon Musk, for example. <laughs> And so like then people are like scrolling through their YouTube feed. They're like, oh, why is there a live video? Like uh, like it's, you know, it's, it's recommended to me. What is this video? They'll click it. But it's because like one of their old YouTubers that they were subscribed to like got hacked into. And I know like the process of getting back into your account and like reinstating all your old videos is like kind of a nightmare sometimes as well. And so like um, and a lot of this, like the hacking stuff is even with people that have like 2FA like, you know, on their channels as well. So it's not like they, they, they just like have a bad password and someone gets into it. So I think. That part's really scary as well, especially, yeah, once again, if you're doing it full time and suddenly you just don't have your platform anymore and you don't know when you're going to be able to get your channel back, I think that's really scary as well. Um, so I'd love it's to terrifying. see more done there. Yeah. And then like, man, this is something I had a problem with. I've noticed that it's like toned down a lot in the recent like months, but for a while, like the YouTube comment section, like there were just so many bots and it was like automated bots that mm. would like pretend to be your name and they'd be like, oh, like message this name on Telegram to get like a reward or whatnot. Right. And it was like, they would be able to get through the filters that I had automated because they would have like different unique like character, you know, in, in their um, comment. And that was really annoying. I think a lot of creators were like, this is crazy. Like we can't filter these out when like it's so clearly botted as well. Um, and so like, yeah, more tools to get rid of that, I think would be helpful as well. But I'd say in terms of the future, like I think it's really bright as a creator. I think there's more value to be extracted from the creator side right now than maybe ever. I think like, a lot of it is like content in general is growing a lot, right? You have people who are like breaking boundaries. Uh, obviously, like Mr. Beast is an example that so many people talk about. Uh, he's doing stuff like, you know, it's just kind of mind blowing. Uh, and then you also have like Ludwig, I think is one of the most interesting creators on YouTube because he's like constantly doing all these different things and he's really entertaining, really in- innovative as well. Um, but I think people have realized like, wow, like there's 
so many different ways to make content. And, uh, and like when I started Pokemon YouTube, for example, 2014, it was like everyone was doing the same things. It was like the same playthroughs of the same games. And now Pokemon YouTube a decade later is so much more innovative. There are people like breaking the boundaries of what Pokemon content can look like. So I think part of the reason why I want to continue doing this is because I'm really optimistic in this space overall as a creator. I think obviously there's more that, um, you know, the platforms can do, but I understand it's honestly a tough task for them as well. And then in terms of the future, yeah, I think like shorts is obviously something a lot of people have been hyper fixated on, rightfully so. It's interesting because I think a lot of creators see shorts as like a mechanism for growth, right? It's like for a lot of YouTube creators, it's like they don't maybe care as much about um, like what ad revenue they get from shorts. It's more like, hey, if I get like a million views on these shorts and it adds like even 100 or 200 subscribers to my main channel and then those subscribers trickle down to mm. watch my main videos, I think that's more valuable than anything else. And so for a lot of these gaming content creators that I know, it's like, how would I like grow on TikTok or grow on shorts to funnel people down to the fundamental content? Got it. Oh, it's a, it's a top of funnel conversion. Yes. Yeah. At at least that's how I say me and my friends see it. But like we operate obviously in a very specific like gaming niche relative to other creators. And there are other creators that are like, you know, hyper-focused on just growing on TikTok or growing on shorts. And that's understandable as well. Um, But for a lot of people that I know that do YouTube full-time, like that's kind of the, the, behind it. Ah, fascinating. Okay, cool. Um, so shorts are basically like a really cool video. You're happy that YouTube has done shorts. You don't feel like that's kind of degrading the, the content ecosystem or kind of um, damaging the way that YouTube is perceived. Yeah, um, I think they're, okay. they feel like pretty separate products to me, which I think is important, right? Like, I think it's not like, oh, I go on my feed and it's like all just shorts recommended to me anymore. And it's like, I, I actually don't really watch shorts on YouTube. Um, and I don't feel like I'm getting like blasted with them all the time. But They've also been very helpful, I know, for some of my creator friends in, in growth on their channel. So it's been more additive than negative for me, um, even as someone who occasionally consumes short form content. Like, I feel like it's still pretty separate on YouTube. I'm glad that experience is not like, oh, like I'm just constantly being recommended shorts over long form stuff that I want to see. Mm, got it. Um, so I want to conclude, a lot of today's episode has been focused on being a content creator, um, but you obviously love Pokemon. Um, and I want to know what's something that you're super excited uh, for Nintendo to do, either in games or anime or cards or Pokemon Go. Um, you know, I have this theory that Pokemon NFTs would do really well, for example. Uh, but what's something that, you know, you said the future of YouTube is bright, but what's the future of Pokemon and, how do you, and, and, and what are you excited for? I think the competitive scene has grown a lot in the recent years, and it feels like the World Championship specifically is just getting bigger and bigger. For example, last year was the first time we were outside of North America in you know o- over a decade of, of World Championships in the video game side, and it was held in London. And I think like the venue we were in and just the audience, like it felt like double the size of all the previous World Championships. It's going to be in Japan this summer, so that's going to be the first time it's ever going to be in Japan, which is also really exciting. And it feels like the World Championships now is no longer just a celebration of like competitive Pokemon. It's just a celebration of Pokemon overall. And so I, I expect the World Championships specifically to scale up consistently and become more of like a convention catered towards any Pokemon fan rather than, oh, like you only want to attend if you want to watch like the best players in the world go up against each other, which in itself is obviously pretty cool as well. But, you know, it's like when I competed at the World Championships in 2013, there was maybe like 100 people watching in the crowd last year in london we had like a bleachers that like fit over a thousand people which was really cool there were way more people uh, interested in you know being in that area than we actually had space for it would be really cool to me if we get to the point one day where like yeah the world championship finals is in like a big venue that fits like tens of thousands of people that are watching at the same time especially as like a huge fan of esports right i'm like man that must be surreal like competing in these big venues where you're like there and there's like literally thirty thousand people surrounding you or, or whatever number and so i i, I do think that maybe like we're not heading to that scale, but that, the, the future feels really bright in terms of like where the world championships are specifically. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see what they do with it. I think there are a lot of big plans in the upcoming like three to five years and with the way that the franchises continue to grow and these brand new games selling really well as well, like the future feels really bright. That's awesome. Well, it sounds super exciting. Um, and I would, you know, hopefully maybe one day I'll come to one of your competitions and sort of <laughs> feel the vibe and I can compare it to the League of Legends and Overwatch events that we've been to yeah. in uh, Burbank. And uh, I'm sure it feels really epic. I'm just picturing uh, I'm the last sword. I think the last Pokemon game I played was Sword. And there's like some really epic battle music like yeah. in the arena. Oh, yeah. And there's like this so, so many funny memes about like trying to sleep in this region yeah, and, just and like, like the yeah. Pokemon just like rises out of the thing. 
it's like nobody in this yes. nation could sleep yes, because exactly. you're just busting it down like in in the in the Pokemon Battle Arena. Um, but uh, I mean, that's epic, and it's it's like such a, it's so cool to have such a healthy like competitive scene around around the game. I think it brings it and allows so many people to interact with the IP that you know that they can't normally do if you're just sort of consuming the video game. And there's a community which is just overall awesome. Um, and so I guess, you know, people are, uh, interested in subscribing or reaching out to you or want to watch some of your content. If they've been totally, totally convinced that 45 minute to one hour competitive <laughs> Pokemon is now going to be their niche, where can they find you or, um, how can they follow your channel? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter and YouTube, and it's the same handle, Cybertron VGC. Uh, so yeah, feel free to check out some of the videos, reach out. And I love talking about competitive Pokemon. So if anyone listening has just any questions or is just curious about the space, like always happy to chat with this as well. All right. And so on that note, a uh, big thank you, Aaron, for coming. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners, and I'll be back in two weeks. Um, until next time, friends, feel free to hit me up at alexandra at novic.co if you ever have any questions, comments, or concerns. We'd love to hear your feedback. And with that, au revoir. See you next time. Thanks, Aaron. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, level up your insights with our premium research platform, Novic Pro, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.